My name is Eric. That's right, and Jonathan is here too. We are getting ready for the second part in the early days trilogy right now. Trilogy, but, yeah. uh, we wanted to just pop in and say hello to you, uh, fresh, you know, in order uh, other than just uh, posting all the episode parts one by one and staying out of the loop. You know, we want to be here and talk to you, right? Yeah, well, because because we did record this this episode or the episodes you're hearing right now, we recorded quite a while ago at this point. Um, the con, you know, so it's nice to sort of keep up to date, like like yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. We did another kind of big production type episode that that is also banked now, which have mm-hmm. been teased a little bit. So I'm not going to say more about that, but it's a good one, I think. It's a, a nice good one. one. And uh, it was also in the same room, all of us. So, you know, that's, that's also a, very... Yeah, yeah, it's always nice, you know, you can see each other actually talking. I mean, you can over Zoom, but it's much, much easier to see when someone is about to finish or when someone is ready to say something in real life, I think. No, I don't, I don't want to... I'm not going to say what we did. What I, what I do want to say is, to my knowledge, no other Maiden, Iron Maiden podcast has done exactly what we did that day. No, I think so. Yeah, that's right. We have done unique episodes before, so. So this is not this is not a first. <laughs> that's what you get from the Maiden A to Z boys. Unique there episodes. It goes. Yeah, and also completest stuff, right? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, speaking of that, it turned out a long episode, and I see that you have good foresight because in the second part you start t- talking about a trilogy, perhaps a trilogy. You know, mm, whereas yeah. the rest of us were just adding on. And in the first part, we did discuss quite a lot up until 77-ish. And yeah. it also took us 39 minutes to reach the foundation of Iron Maiden, <laughs> which was, you know, the famous Christmas Day 75 yeah. date. That took us 39 minutes. So, yeah, go figure. Very comprehensive, let's just say it that way. So, and also... And in the second part, we will go all the way up until the EMI days, all the way up until the release of the first album. That's exactly where it stops. So it found its natural kind of course, you know, which is nice. We also li- we listen a bit to Paul Mary Day as well. Uh, we got, some, got in, some ancient clips there, old yeah, clips. Uh, cool. This one is actually the recent one. It's a recent one with Paul Mary Day, but it's still, oh, that's right. yeah, that's right, yeah. It's still Paul, Paul Mario. And it also occurred to me, I didn't say it in the episode, that he became a very good stage man. So uh-huh. maybe he took the critique to heart, you know? That we discussed yeah, because what, what we watched was was pretty good. It was very it. good, very good. Yeah. I, I worked on a lot of small stages, and mm-hmm. I've seen you know the, the the challenges of a frontman on a small pub stage. It's a different challenge as to what Bruce is doing on an arena. You know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's harder, but it's a different skill. And he mastered that. He mastered that. He was so into it, you know, pumping his yeah, fist, yeah. Uh, really calling for the audience attention, and really smiling, and then the talk in between, really uh, paying tribute to Iron Maiden. Like a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm like Dennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, suing them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> counting nothing according to Henrik in last episode. Well, um, I, I was I was discussing with someone else recently because about the fact that I was discussing uh, uh, Blaze 
and whatnot. Now he's very humble and very kind of, you know, you know, he's he's a fan and he's always been very cool and very, you know handled everything very you know in, in the best way anyone could really afterwards. I think, and you have other people in the past and maybe have not. Uh, yeah. You know, because like for instance, now this this go around, Maiden didn't make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but had they done it, apparently Blaze would not have been you know included, and he was fine of that. Yeah. But I think there's people like, for instance, I'm sure, like I said, there's probably one person on the planet who thinks Dennis Wilcox should be in it, and that's probably him. Yeah, probably. You know, <laughs> I don't know much about him. Maybe he's a cool guy. I don't know. But um, I don't know. You I know, mean, Paul I mean, Meriday, he was, Paul Meriday sure proved himself in that video yeah. or that you know that clip that we're gonna play in the episode coming up. Oh, if Dennis wants to be on, that's cool too. We could get him. Oh, yeah, he wants cool. to do it. You know, or Dennis Stratton, because he was even included in the potential Hall of Fame build. Yeah, yeah, yeah Stratton yeah. was in there yeah. because of the first record. You know. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah, anyway, I had uh, another point here in the, huh? in this little intro, and it was the a thing about film, actually, about movies. I wanted mm-hmm. to run by you. You're the movie guy here. I am the movie uh, guy. Yeah, we talked about uh, Harvey Keitel. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we talked about him in the, yeah. la- in the last... Yeah. Turn out to be my favorite character in Pulp Fiction. I haven't looked up IMDb, so I don't, still don't know the name. It was the wolf or something. Like this super professional... Yeah, I think it was, that's what it's called, yeah. Super professional... Um, I don't know, bounty hunters by whatnot, man of action. Yeah. Very cool character. But uh, in my defense, I studied the sounds of the film. Everything but the manuscript. <laughs> Everything but. Well, I mean, fair enough. That's, that's uh, yeah, you yeah. know, it's... And also, I realized another thing about actors. Um, oh. Patrick, Patrick McGowan. McGowan, is that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in The Prisoner. We, we yep. talked about him. We posted an image of him uh, on Instagram, or you did, back in the day when you still did the Instagram. You posted a, yeah, yeah. his face. And then I posted the face of Edward Longshank from the Clansman. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, him. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> that's him. I, yeah, didn't that's, know. I, for, I forgot about that. Thing, yeah, <laughs> yeah my, like, my actor facial recognition is not on point. But in this case, it's been years in between. Yeah, but he... Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't... But that's yeah, a maiden link. <laughs> that's a maiden link, cool. if anything. You know, he's, first, he's the prisoner, and then he's Edward Longshank in the movie yeah. that Clansman is based on. <laughs> it's just fun. He also, it's funny because I've seen him in so many things that I like a lot of times. And there's a movie called um, A Time to Kill. I think I can't remember what it's called in Swedish, so it doesn't really matter, I guess, for this context. But yeah. it's a movie about it's like a courtroom drama kind of thing. And it takes place in the sort of south of the US. Uh, and there's a lot of clue, you know, that, that, it has to do with the Ku Klux Klan and a lot of stuff like that. And uh, Patrick McGowan plays the, the judge. Okay, you know, cool. with a very thick southern accent, so I didn't recognize him. All right. Yeah. And I would add that he's very good as Edward Longshank. You know, no, that's char- yeah. probably the strongest character in the film, right? Probably, yeah. He's, he, he does a hell of a job. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the ruthlessness of, of that guy, you know. Like, oof. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good one. And, you know, that was one of those flashes to me. Like, ah, oh, made an A to Z. Patrick McGowan, he's everywhere. <laughs> you know? Didn't we get a message from someone? Because we mentioned the William Wallace statue. Right, yeah, that was also on my list, that I got a message from, from an actual Scott, as much as I could see, anyway, on, on Twitter. And he, mm-hmm. he wanted to point out that this Mel Gibson-faced statue <laughs> is seen as an uh, atrocity by most Scots. And it's a very important point. And also that there are other statues of William Wallace. It's not the yeah, only one. Yeah, But he also kind of uh, packaged this in a uh, good review of our show. He liked the show. Yeah. And good. he liked the episode. <laughs> he was very clear on that, you know. Yeah, but good to get that out there. And I, that was my last point before actually jumping into the episode content. And it was the listener feedback thing. I've had a lot, and I haven't read oh, yeah. it. I haven't read it on on here. And a lot of it has been of maybe com- conversational nature, so mm-hmm. it's harder to just read it out. So what I thought is that we may plan a proper listener 
feedback type episode or feedback or input actually M- mostly yeah. input really it's mostly about maiden not not too much about our pod but it would be no, nice yeah. to do that because i've gathered up quite a bit and i could ask them for maybe more sort uh, core versions of what they told me yeah let's do that let's, let's definitely do that and maybe we throw um, out a few questions before to make it mm-hmm. more structured so that was an idea I mean, at some point it'd be fun. I'm, I'll, I'll just say, you know, we'll see what we do with this, but it'd be fun to do like, um, maybe when we get to L's, so so we can do like a listener episode where they can call in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, That'd be fun. And it's easier to do it these days. I mean, we had yeah. Greg on uh, without any equipment. We had um, Charlotte on without any equipment. And yeah. also uh, Fatima didn't have any particular equipment. Just, you know, so a phone. All we just got to do is just do it over Zoom and people can just, you know, join, hop in, you know, that could, that could be fun. Yeah few ways to do it should be fun yeah we could sort of do that maybe look at that at some point in the future yeah and i guess with that we will throw ourselves into these uh, this coming hour of of early days it'll be yeah. a lot of fun in this episode too we'll get in on on the management a bit we'll get in on uh, early australian dates uh, oh yeah shout out shout out to ben obviously yeah. we, we have mentioned we have mentioned him in this intro yet but yeah that was that was he did a he did a hell of a job yeah good co-host i'm, I'm getting get him on the intro for the third part yeah, I discussed fun. it with him. Yeah, because it, he can fill in on you know what we've already been on and what we will be on in the last hour. We hour. we also just get him back in general for another long. Maybe maybe we'll do well. You know, there's tons of stuff we can do. He, you know, he, he yeah, seems. Yeah. No, I have plans for all our previous guests. I would say. There you go. That's good. And hopefully, some of them will flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So that's so, it. Uh, are we going to do our? Yeah. Actually, I recorded a little. Uh, <laughs> catchphrase at the end anyway oh but we could so we let's do a an introduction to the episode then like uh maiden a to z percents oh do you want me to um i'll do maiden a to z percents and then you'll do the rest what, what do you want me to say? What, what should i say uh, the early days, the early days part, part two or the early oh. days trilogy part two <laughs> all right that, that, that's all i'll do the early days trilogy right. part two so, right, so uh, you, you go so, first then yeah so here we go maiden a to z percents the early day i fucked that up that was ridiculous how can i fuck up two fucking right, when you do the voice right okay yeah, we'll I, was, I was more focused on doing the voice we'll try it one more time then mm-hmm. and we'll nail it made an a to z presents the early days trilogy part two <laughs> And I was thinking about that with Steve firing people left and right. He's not that good of a player, but it's his band, so he's perfect on his instrument. Mm. And that's where I would have had some self doubt. You know, am I good mm. enough to fire this guy for not being good enough? Mm. That kind yes. of thinking. But I don't think Steve, Steve wasn't plagued with that with that type of thinking. I, I mean, all you gotta be, all you gotta, you guys just gotta be good enough to do what you want yeah. to do. Mm. You don't have to be better than that. You don't good have to be point. better than. I mean, you know, like like. Like there's probably like weird dream theater shit that Steve couldn't play, but that's okay because he doesn't want to do mm. that anyway, so it's mm. fine. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you just got to be good enough to do to be able to. Yeah, you know, and, and and nail whatever your, you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Nail yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, his influences were all of them are better than him at playing bass. Mm. Just oh. a, a fact, you know. We have guys like Chris Squire, way better than than Steve, but uh, mm. I don't think it it doesn't uh, phase him too much. 
uh, you know, he's nah, just like well, doing his he, thing. It's also that translation thing of he, what he did is took sort of that, um, how heady and what would you call it, like sophisticated that yes and bands like that were and Wishbone Ash and then he basically stripped it down to this kind of like raw, he made it like working man's version mm. where yeah. or the common man version or the suburban version. Like he, he <laughs> yeah. took it out of the university and he brought it into the pub and in essence. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why so many people can – tell you who Steve Harris is and not so many people could tell you who Chris Squire is or name a yes song even like that's right. yeah it's and that's to me that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of it so like it's not above anyone ACDC as well I'm a big fan and they are, are masters at making it sound easy but it's never easy have any one of you tried to cover an ACDC song it's yeah. not it's not very easy you know no. you have to be so tight within that and they don't have the they can't cover it up that's the thing mm. you know because well, you have this there's, steady there's, an, there's an amplifier up there that is built yeah. by acdc's guitar tech there oh, we go. oh wow cool there we yeah, go. yeah and i've got a malcolm young gretch so i'm a, I'm like oh yeah malcolm's malcolm my two sort of heroes are literally like uh kind of like adrian smith of malcolm young that's that's uh. it you know, Malcolm so, is the coolest in ACDC, I think. He's, he's way cool. And he looks super violent, though. He's this tiny guy, <laughs> but it seems like he's always ready with an uppercut. <laughs> well, he, and he is. And, and, he, well, and he literally, he would literally go through a pick, a song nearly. Because like, I, I met Rick from Wizard Amps, who was their tech for 25 years, when they toured here two tours ago. And we went out for dinner and hung out and stuff. And he, he literally would saw through or pick almost every song because he's playing with 12 gauge strings, very low gain. And he's just, he's literally playing like Johnny Ramone, like just yeah. ha hammering his guitar. Whereas Angus would literally use the same pick for three gigs in a row because he had that very delicate, you know, the amps doing a lot of the work, a mm. lot yeah. lighter strings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now Malcolm's the king. Malcolm's the king. Like, very cool guy. Yeah. Very cool guy. And I mean, really an essence of, of that band, I would say. And uh, yeah, ah, oh, and he's the Steve Harris of that band. The, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And they're still yeah. using, as far as I know, like on the last album, which is actually brilliant, uh, Power Up. I think they're still mm. using demos of his. He's got. Yeah, most, I think the songs are stuff that was. Writ, you know, written back yeah. in his when he was still with still with us. So yeah, hundreds of mm. demos, and uh, I think, uh, I mean probably there's many more to go because he probably had a computer at the end, you know, there and just <laughs> recorded mm. riffs uh, before passing. But okay, St uh, yeah. Iron Maiden, the vocalists, we've been on them. Uh, Dennis Wilcox, uh, we we heard just now, and Paul Mary Day, can we ever hear him? Um, yeah, I think we can, but I'm not sure who's going to get to hear the get a hold of the recordings. Mm -hmm. but I, I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's a tape shown in the early days that says uh yes, yes. 76 something like that yeah uh, then mm. again oh uh, i found i found i found so, something here someone needs okay. to break into steve's house to get yeah that tape so <laughs> exactly to all it. those tapes all those tapes so that shoebox is valuable yeah. <laughs> i got him singing wrathchild two two years ago if you want that okay oh yeah Why so, not? so it's a modern yeah, thing yeah, yeah i'm sure
guitarist to the left is, yeah. uh, it must be Terry Wapram, I think, from the later lineup, yeah. 77 lineup. Oh, yeah, wow. Is it okay. the really tall guy? Yeah. On the Ibanez. And it's Tom Morello on drums. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, gold. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, that's yeah. the statement for this episode. Tom Morello's on drums. I'm gonna say he did it better than Bruce. Yeah, yeah, Honestly. I thought it sounded really good. Yeah, it's not yeah, Bruce's I mean, uh, best song. Yeah, was, yeah, pretty cool. That was Paul Murray. I enjoyed Bruce, that. Bruce's version of Killers is I've, I always loved. Though he he used to give that a yeah a, a, like a, a menace. Yeah. I he, that, he does a great version of that. Mm. I think it was on his audition tape actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the audition mm. version yeah. is good. But later he he couldn't get the maniacal part of it. Yeah. Bruce is just not a maniac. You know, he's in control. Well, in a well, way, and, he, yeah. and he's like a, a stage actor playing maniacal in a sense. Yeah. You know, like yeah. His only maniacal, real maniacal vibe is on where well, you see it on Hammersmith. He's a man possessed on that, uh, yeah. that gig. Yeah. And mm. uh, I think his best Paul, best Paul Bruce would be Sanctuary off of uh, Dortmund. I think he does that really well. And yeah. uh, otherwise, not really his song. Mm. You know, it doesn't really fit him too well. But uh, Paul Mario Day, big up to yeah. him. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, yeah. I, I think Bruce d does the. If he's singing stuff that's not his own, he does the Blaze era stuff better than he does the way the Paul era way stuff. Yeah. I think he's closer to Blaze as well. Yeah. They yeah. have way more of a friendship going on. Yeah. Well, and I, Blaze is kind of sort of in between both of them as a singer in a sense. Like he's obviously more of like a baritone mm. yeah. sort of singer. But, but uh, Paul had more of that rougher sort of, you know, growl to his tone, whereas Blaze could sort of sing more in a sense, like more of a yeah. singer. But yeah, I think Paul has uh, good heights, though. You listen to yeah. Twilight Zone, for example. Can't yep. you see me? Yeah. You know, he can sing. He can definitely yeah. sing. Uh, but uh, also, he's more bluesy. Uh, definitely yes. more bluesy. Blaze is not really a, a blues guy. Yeah, he reminds me. Of, watching the Rainbow Gig, he reminds me a bit of. We've, there's a singer out here, Australian singer called Jimmy Barnes. Now he's a, a monster singer, mm -hmm. but he just sort of reminded me, and it is that blue, it's that bluesy thing that you're talking about, the phrasing and stuff. It's yeah, what, yeah, it's and a bit they, like a womanizer sound, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in great. a sense, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. more more so than Blaze. You know, Blaze is more in his nerd world, uh, which I love too. But uh, but Poliano really like this kind of. Uh, dandy yeah. character, you know, or something like that, you know. Uh, and he's intense. He had a real intensity to him. Yeah. Again, watching him, he just sort of, to me on stage, he was almost a bit more like Rob Halford in a sense. He sort of planted himself on the stage and sang. Mm. And then, yeah. but he he didn't have to move. He didn't have to move. He just had the presence, you know. So There's this fun clip of uh, Remember, Remember Tomorrow from Live in Germany uh, where some kind of radio noise gets in the PA. Yeah. It sounds like a Moog synthesizer or like a sinus wave. <laughs> and he's just, he, Paul just goes to the side of the stage and drinks yeah. and watches things, getting, <laughs> watches things getting solved, you know. <laughs> That's the full Spinal Tap thing with the, uh, with the, the, For sure. yeah, the CB radio type deal or whatever yeah. it is, the yeah, two-way radio. <laughs> and everyone is just looking and laughing and yeah. 
that's it. So I, I think there we've have we've handled the, the vocalist as lead, a little bit of the drummers yeah. as well, and then we have the guitarist part. Yeah, a mess. Oh, well, we could, and then Tony Moore on keyboards. We yeah, could talk to mm. him. Right, he was in briefly, and they decided not to use a keyboardist, what? which they've never done. They have, right? We have uh, Michael Kenny. Yeah. Michael Kenny, obviously, but he's not in the band, and he doesn't want to be seen as he's in the band. Mm. He's more of a utility. He's still a tech when he plays the yes. keys. Yeah. And I think that's right for Maiden. You know, I, I talked about. I talked with a friend about um, doing uh, live sound for if we do a cover band, and that he, he could do the the keys from there. And he was like, I want to do the keys on stage. Like, you can't. Mm. <laughs> you can't yeah. not, not, not in Maiden, you know. Someone's gonna have to buy a backdrop he can stand behind. Yeah, but exactly. I watched, yeah. I watched Martin Kenny play keyboards. I did the Heaven Can Wait thing uh, oh, yeah. somewhere okay. back in That's somewhere back in time, mm. and uh, talk about like literally the greatest moment of your life standing on stage with Iron Maiden looking out into oh, the yeah. crowd, yeah. like like fuck, like unbelievably insane. And but we before. We, we had to wait during Power Slave, yeah, before we, Heaven Can Wait was the next song, and they sort of led us up on the stage, mm. and I'm standing behind Martin, uh, him playing keyboards, yeah, the one-finger keyboards in Power Slave, yeah. and it, I'm just like, this is mental. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and and yeah. Steve, Steve's daughter is standing right next to me, you know, and she's literally like, goes up, comes up to my waist, you know, mm. And then it, it's like, run out, run out. And I literally just ran to the middle of the stage and stood there with my arms in the air. I didn't, I was just like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Mm. I don't care about singing or anything. So, yeah. but yeah, watching the, uh, the keyboard. You had some friends in, uh, in the band Heat, right? Swedish band Heat. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Uh, Eric and jo I know I did a gig with Eric and Jonah in Melbourne. So yeah. we, we were there back, we were their backing band. So, Eric was um, also a winner of uh, Swedish Idol, Swedish Idol, which is a guilty Talk pleasure of mine. Used to be. I, I honestly think he's the, one of the best no. singers in rock music. He's like, great. Full, full stop and frontman. Like <laughs> he's uh, absolutely insane. Like uh, he's kind of he's going through his own challenges at the moment now. But um, he's Ill, with his illness and everything. But um, yeah, he's he's absolutely phenomenal. He could sing for anyone. Like yeah. literally, he's that good. Yeah. And their old singer Kenny was uh, raised and born and raised in the same suburb as me. So I remember like sitting uh, in a youth youth mm. hall, and he was yeah. uh, performing "Hello Be Thy Name" on acoustic guitar, uh, oh. singing, singing and playing the bass line. I was like, "Whoa!" And, and whoa he, I'm never going to play with yeah. you. And he, you're too good. He used to sing in uh, our our Maiden covers band like 15 years ago or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. so you still have his oh, number. Wow. You have his number. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, that's, yeah. And he's back in the band now, yeah. and um, he's in Heat now. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's okay. I didn't know he, that. I didn't know that. Eric Eric left uh, late last year, I think it was, and um, they handed the torch back to Kenny, and so he's he's in huge form. They released a great record. Their last record was called Heat Two, and it's phenomenal. It's the best record of its type, in my opinion, in the last twenty years. <clears throat> and there's a cover of oh, not a cover of a song called Rise with Kenny singing Eric's song, essentially, and he absolutely smashes it. Just such, he's a killer singer. And he has that Dickinson tone in his voice yeah. that yeah. sort of, whereas Eric is more of a Sebastian, you know, has more of Sebastian Bach in there and that yeah. grit, whereas Kenny's got, yeah. Um, he, uh, Eric yeah, he can, can do that whole, uh, 
but with full distortion from uh, oh, 18, 18 Alive uh, towards the end there. Uh, he yeah. can really do that, uh, great singer. But so is Kenny, and I was so impressed when I, I think I was 13. It was the second gig I saw in my mm. life, a punk rock wow. band called, called No ID. The first gig I saw was Iron Maiden, I mean proper, me going to a show. Uh, yes. I went with my dad when I was younger, but the first one was Iron Maiden 2000. And then I saw this punk band, and I was like, where's the stage? And there was this yeah. tiny little corner, you know, in the room. Yeah. Like, is that the stage? You know, how are they going to run up on that stage? Yeah, after, so after the intro so tape. What, what town was that that you grew up in? Haninge. It's called Haninge. Uh, okay. It's kind of a similar position to where Stockholm is, uh, Frankston. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, it's a and he was around. And I remember just, you know, that gig, I don't remember the punk band way too much, even though I ended up playing with the guitarist for almost 10 years. But I remember him playing Hello Be The Name in between the sets. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just doing the guitar and the bass and, and uh, singing. It's like, okay, this guy, I'm never going to play with him. He's way too good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. But this punk band, I can play with mm. him, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can do that. He had an ESP Explorer as well, so I saw that he wanted to play metal. Mm. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. Where are we in the 70s? Have we covered the 70s properly? Maybe, maybe not. No, we, we, no, we need to get... I, the, one of the interesting things I, I noticed... Well, I've got it in my notes, I'll just go back. Um, is where they basically... They get rid of Paul Day, Dennis Wilcock comes in, and Dave Murray, and then Dennis Wilcox sacks everyone in, a, yeah. in essence. Like, it's in 1977, <clears throat> and they literally go back to... Uh, who's it? Steve... Uh, Doug Sampson and um, Dave Murray, like mm. yeah, first, first not, not yeah. even Dave Murray because they had the the triangle drama. So firstly, I think it was only Steve for a little bit, but then he called yeah. back Doug Sampson because Doug Sampson had had left. He had, as he said, he he got a, a job, and Steve yes, kept pushing yes. the band. So now Doug Sampson is back, and yeah. uh, also Wilcox Amazing. is out, so you can bring Dave back, and they became this trio, right? Yeah, and that's to me. That's really important. It's just that thing of just more evidence of this guy that will not lay down. He won't go. You know, if this is not working out. Maybe I should go get a job. You know, he, yeah. which is what ninety nine point nine percent of people almost would do in a sense. Yeah, you know, that you can have fourteen people in your band before you you basically make your first record. Five years, fourteen. It's like that's insane. Like, yeah. this is what every band that wants to succeed needs to watch, because this is what it takes, you know? Like, it is, yeah. And then again, it's a different time frame, of course, with more, mm. there's more of a rock dream that is still yeah. alive. But I think, I mean, if he hadn't been so stubborn, there would have been no Iron Maiden. There would have been no, no Maiden that's A to Z. Right. We couldn't have spent hundreds of hours talking about this band if he hadn't been there. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> I mean, with that attitude. We'd have to do something constructive. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's a, that's horrible. That's a nightmare. Oh yeah, I don't want to yeah. do that. No, 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 no. Okay. So what do you think, Henrik? You have more on the on the seventies period, like let's say pre. -soundhouse. Well, there's so much to say, really. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's the key thing is Steve Harris's determination and going yes. through all these different members and firing them and bringing them back. I mean, it's all a part of. I'm not going to say it's a part of his plan, but it's a part of he just realizes that yeah, that's what he needs to do. And I mean, even if Dennis Wilcox wasn't as good a singer as Paul Day, he wanted something. He wanted more of a showman and he wanted more of a show to put mm. on. And in that sense, it was a step forward. And then 
Dennis Wilcox proved to be a, a pain up the rear end. So he yeah. sort of, went, as you said, fired everyone. And then they got the band together with Thunderstick and the keyboard player and all that. And that didn't really work. And then Doug Samson is in. And I, I think it's basically the band was Steve and Dave. And they got in and at one point because Dennis just said he didn't want to do it anymore. And then yeah. they brought Doug in. Because obviously Steve had played with Doug in Smiler before. And uh, that's when, I'm just going to say, the Iron Maiden that started the, f- the first, that's the yeah, the first really booster rocket formed there. Yeah. And they started. And this comes into a slight controversy here because they always talk about these four guys uh, Doug Samson, Paul Diano, Dave Murray, Steve Harris. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, way confirmed that there's a fifth guy involved here playing on the soundhouse yeah recorded in uh, space ward studios in I cambridge think. yeah and uh, uh-huh. yeah and uh, this is this a guy he plays solos mm-hmm. he writes i think uh, i mean we've been on that before with the writing thing that steve buys them out he doesn't want names on his songs from foreign, yeah from former members the yeah. members mm-hmm. yeah yeah former yeah and uh, also i noticed now this is the only new thing re-watching this documentary for the 12th mm. time was that dave is cut when he's talking about the members on Soundhouse tapes. He's listing the members, and you can hear that he's not saying and Dog Samson. He's listing the four, and then yeah. it's cut. Mm. Oh, wow. I think he adds, because Dave wouldn't hide that. Why would he, you know? But they are made in holdings. They hide yeah. this guy. He's hidden. He's, he's thrown away. I don't <laughs> even remember his name. It's, but he's all in uh, Strange World. Paul Cairns, right? Paul yeah. Cairns. Mad yeah, Mac. Cairns. Yeah. They used to call him. Mad and he had, he had his dog with him. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps even writing credits. Uh, I'm not. S- so is, Ma- is is Mad Mac the guy on the Sandbox yeah. tapes? Is yeah. that him? Yeah. Well, okay, mm. okay. I didn't know. Uh, that. Yeah, because there's yeah. a photo of yeah. them from taken from the pub opposite the Cambridge Studios. It's a very blurry old, you know, Instamatic camera photo. But there they are, all all five of them plus the dog. So it's <laughs> plus yeah. the dog. And I can't, and I can't see why would Paul Cairns be in Cambridge with him if he didn't partake <laughs> on the recording. He, he, was a me- he, was a me- yeah. he was a mechanic working on the truck yeah, yeah. on the Green Goddess. Yeah. <laughs> he was driving the Green yeah. Goddess. Yeah. Yeah. He's listed on the Wiki- Wikipedia yeah. page list. Because I think... As a member or as a, as a unit, as a, as a, as a unit for, of, of Soundhouse tapes or just a past member? Uh, f- yeah. Former member. Former because member, I yeah. think he is mentioned... In the books, yeah, he's in the he's in the he's in the he's on the DVD. Like they talk yeah. about this Mad Mac guy who was he he was all in and then he froze on stage yeah. one day, and that's kind of where and it's oh, like, well, yeah. sorry, mate, you know, super talented, but you can't, you're not in. You know, yeah, so. uh, yeah, I thought that was about Paul Mario Day when I yeah, watched it. But right, exactly, yeah. it's the, the same kind of story with them too. Yeah. And Steve is always like, oh, shame, shame, yeah. really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. He, I, I think, honestly, he's, he's honest there. I think he honestly wished yeah. to keep the members in the band. I don't think he's a mean spirit in that sense that he wants no, to No, he wanted it to anything. work. I mean, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and there is that one guy, I'm not sure which, which dude it is, but he actually says that Steve said, you know, you could have stayed in the band and, you know. Oh, the, the, like, the roadie, right? Is it, yeah, yeah. It's like, you could have stayed with us, but... Why not? Why didn't you? You know, and I guess yeah. oh, I get to go and see gigs all around the show. Mortgages, the- uh, family, mm. that's what he pulls out. Yeah. But that's not that's not Loopy, right? Or is it Loopy? I'm not sure. No, no, not no. Loopy. He wrote a book. Yeah. 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 
He was on uh, several times on our friends' podcast, the uh, Maiden Podden, as well, talking about the early that, days. That's in Swedish, isn't it? Yeah, this mm-hmm. is Swedish. That is, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'll, have to, I'll have to get up. I'll have to work on my language. <laughs> language. <laughs> yeah. language. <laughs> it's a tough one, though. I'd recommend Spanish yeah. for you <laughs> the, before that. <laughs> my, yeah. well, my, my partner, she speaks. She speaks Spanish. So. Yeah, yeah, go for Spanish. Mm. You know, go for Spanish. Yeah. Also, the best way to learn a language is the bad way. Everyone says. <laughs> <laughs> swearing right. swearing yeah. first yeah. so where are we we are we have discussed the the, the band leading up to the soundhouse mm-hmm. tapes which was not recorded in the soundhouse the soundhouse was this uh, radio channel live venue type thing right the soundhouse was yes. yeah take it away ben the the studio the, was yeah, spaceward yeah spaceward studios and soundhouse was the club that uh what was his name neil yeah, kai i literally watched it last night Neil Kay, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the DJ, he he ran right, and uh, the, it was literally like a, a hard rock club, heavy metal yeah. club. So that's where, and that's where they really came into the sort of the the consciousness of the public, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Or the beginning yeah. of it. So. the first main forum and i guess that's why the title is the soundhouse tapes. yeah because that's what yeah. was played in the in the heavy metal soundhouse in the bandwagon yeah. at the back of the prince of wales club in kingsbury circle in london mm-hmm. yes have you guys listened to the soundhouse tapes like repeatedly i've listened to it a few times but i can't say i'm super familiar with it every time i hear it it's still slightly outlandish to me with the dog samson drums I, I did when I when I first got a copy, or uh, it's a bootleg copy of it, when I first got that one 30 years ago, but it's not been... I haven't played it a lot. No? It, it was on the Best of the Beast. Yeah. Um, I think a couple of them were on the Best of the Beast, or, you know, with the B-sides and stuff. They had a... There's two of them... Two of the songs were on there from the Sandhouse tapes. And I remember it coming on and just thinking, well, it just sounds like lo-fi first record. Mm. Like it sounds like uh, a demo, yeah. you know, like, and I'm not that sort of that hardcore completist where it's like, I need to dissect that. Mm. I just go, give me the better version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, look at Invasion. Invasion is a terrible song about us Northerners, but it's it's not good. I mean, Norseman are coming, Norseman are coming, Norseman are coming. What the hell's going yeah. on? Those are common, those are common. It's rocking, but and then again, Invaders is not even that no. good. But the, the earlier version is way worse. Uh, Invasion is one of the worst. Soundhouse tapes is um, something you'll find 
in every Iron Maiden like uh, you know uh, group on Facebook where people are trying to sell stuff or buy stuff, and it's always insanely overpriced. Like someone will be saying it's you know it's a weird blue vinyl variant, and they want you know like you know three thousand euros mm-hmm. for it or something like that because you know they claim that it's you know it's one of a kind or whatnot. You know of course it's probably it's a bootleg yeah, of course or some, it is, some such. Yeah. It's, but it, so you know and. That kind of stuff. But you always get mm. that kind of thing in those kind of groups, like yeah. especially now. Yeah, I'm always wondering when they're selling bootlegs. Like, what's the significance of this particular print? Yeah. Is it just a bootleg, and I'm supposed to pay 500 for this uh, poor-sounding mm. recording of Paris? <laughs> but there are people who are, yeah. who actually want them. That's the thing, and I mean, yeah, they're yeah. and they're happy yeah. to pay yeah. this money, this sort of money for it. So. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I empathize. I empathize with that because I always like. I like collecting maiden stuff mm. too. But I'm not a completist. Eric is worse than me. I'm, I'm mm. not. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. worse, but I, I still wouldn't for like. I mean, if it's a specific show that I went to and they had, I might. You know, I st- I still wouldn't pay. You know, upwards of that. that you know, th- three thousand euros, which is what I saw someone mm. trying to sell something for. That that's insane. No. Especially for something that's obviously not what they claim it to be, and uh, yeah, there's but, no um, there's no significance to this. They they called a, a vinyl plant and they made vinyls, but there's no significance to the release. I think these these no, no, and no, these no. Me, uh, unless you're buying the actual tape from yeah the first what did they say five thousand that they actually they pressed mm. or whatever it was yeah like it's if you're not buying that. Why bother? Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, mm. And that's also one, right? Uh, Rod said 15,000 to make the band yeah. seem bigger, but it was actually a 5,000 print. But also, you know, if you have the tape, that be, I mean, if I was able to, I can't imagine what someone would be trying to sell that for if it's, I mean, if, if it would be available. And then, so then I got the tape and then, you know, then I don't really know what I would do after that. Like, so I got that. And then I just keep it until at some point, you know, after I, you know, let's, let's say if, you know, I'm not gonna have kids, but let's say I die and someone wants to sell off my stuff. They got to find someone as dumb as me to buy it for another, th- you know, three, three yeah. thousand grand. Three yeah. thousand euros. Yeah. I remember our, our previous guest, Don Svane, Swedish metal producer. He said that his brother got the the Soundhouse tape straight off Steve, mm. and and he he got it as a confirmation present, right, uh, when he was fourteen. Don, so maybe if I can find some rare journey or something that he really likes, I could. <laughs> yeah, you can see the journey. Yeah, yeah, that would be worth it. You know, that would be interesting. Yeah. But that's why there's a cool story. He, he probably wouldn't charge you, you know, like, you know, an insane amount of money for it either. No, he's not a greedy guy. No. Just getting back to that period of time, I've, I've made a note here, and this is sort of interesting. It's like there's still what you'd call a weekender band, like weekend gigs, day jobs, yeah. sleeping in the truck. Mm. Like they're yeah. still, they're still just hacking away every weekend, just li- trying to live the dream in a sense. Like that is still, that's a really, uh, you know, and gigging every weekend for someone who gigged every weekend for literally ten years, it you know, it's a slog if you're trying to wake up Monday morning and go to work. So mm, yeah, yeah, it's um, and keep hold of your job and whatnot, and your girlfriend and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of sacrifice that goes in there that's sort of unsung in a sense. Like I think that's that was just sort of I thought was an important thing to note that. Sort of even, you know, three years down the track, they're still just up and down the motorway, as they would say in the in the right, Green Goddess. Right. Yeah. And uh, Steve saying in Burning Ambition, "You better watch your step, woman." Maybe it's not attitude. Maybe he's being <laughs> nice. He's telling you, like, <laughs> yeah. "You better watch it," because I'm I'm not at home. I'm sleeping in this in this Green Goddess van, and you know I'm not going to be uh, uh, the uh, the boyfriend you're looking for. Maybe you know. And I'm- 
listening to Evil Ways by Santana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pots are cold. What the fuck? And Dio's coming by that point, so you've got, yeah. you've got all yeah. this evil coming. Yeah, he's coming in. Like, like Gypsy One. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you too about uh, the, your days of uh, of playing live. Have you been abroad? I've been abroad a little bit, and I've been around in Sweden. And the kind of the rigors of of low budget touring, it's tough. Yeah, I've, I've, yes, yes, it is. Like, and the way White Widow does it is literally, you know, we we were signed to a label like a small label out of Germany, so they would give us some sort of tour support, which would help. But uh, you still sort of sort of self-funding it and then waiting for your merch and everything to sell to sort of reap some sort of some reward at the end so yeah and and it is you know it's a grind but you i mean oh i only did it i was in the last time i was in stockholm was in 2019 and um still just i'm just amazed that i get to play music somewhere else and people will listen to it that just blows me away like i'm still like a yeah. child in a sense mm. but it's a grind it really is and uh yep. yeah and i mean being but, on for me like a week tour a week-long tour we come yeah. back we can't even say goodbye to each other as we drop each and every one off at their homes like yeah. we're we're so done <laughs> with yeah. the band and i'm talking a week here look at like yeah, the world slavery tour or even the earlier tours you know hey it's, we, we would do 12 12 days 14 days yeah, eighteen days. I think was probably the longest that we that we were away. But yeah, yeah. By the end of it, you just like well, we just see each other at the airport, and you just sort of nod. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, no goodbye, right? <laughs> it's no goodbye. You just everyone knows that we're not going to elongate this anymore. I, like, and I won't, I won't call you for a few months now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for a tea break myself to re refill. <clears throat> I've got co I've got cold tea yeah. break now. <laughs> That sounds nice. So when you were in Stockholm, uh, where, where did you play? Where, 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 you know, remember the venue? Uh, yeah, yeah. We played at Harry B. James when I... Oh, uh, right, yeah. Yeah, when I played there. And um, I went back twice. So I played there once, and then I flew back at the end of that tour to see um, Dynasty or the band Dynasty with Nils oh, Mullen. Yeah. What a, what a beast that guy is, uh, and that band. But they were they actually weren't playing. They were playing as their cover band at um, Pub Anchor called mm. called Vaginasty, and they were doing. I've actually got footage of him doing, like them doing wasted years. So, oh cool! And and then the second time I flew back was just I my friend Robin from Degreed. I went. We just hung out for a few days, and when I, he played on one of the cruise ships that go up the uh, through the rivers, and uh, yeah, I, I went there for like three days. But I've only played in, in I played in uh, Varberg, uh, Jönköping, oh, yeah. Jönköping, oh, yeah. and Stockholm. So we sort of did the th drove across and did the three dates, and that was in I think 2016. So. Oh, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Like, and I absolutely, Sweden, if I could move anywhere, like, that's where I'd actually yeah. move. I, I've probably never felt more at home in any, any place than there. I just felt absolutely at ease in that. Just, I love it. The people there, the sensibility, mm. the culture, it's fantastic, really. It's, um, well, hopefully, hopefully you can get back, you'll get back up here when, you know, when the, when the Corona shits. Over oh, Hopefully, yeah, I, I'll, I'll have to make it happen because I've got a few friends over there and 
just to even catch up with them. And uh, uh, another yeah. good mate of mine's a guy named Eric, Eric Martinson, who's a producer, oh, rock producer over there, plays oh, in a band. Eclipse. Band. Yeah. Eclipse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm good friends yeah, with I Eric. Yeah, I know him too. Yeah, he, yeah he's an absolutely lovely yeah. guy. And another fellow ACDC freak. So I sold him a guitar amp, actually. So mm -hmm. I, sent it, I sent it from Melbourne to Sweden. So just to see those guys and go out and have a have some beers. We went to that pub in Old Town that's sort of underneath, or it's like a restaurant that's underneath. <laughs> yeah, and you wear the hat with the horns, yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did all that. I did, awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm. So I love it. Yeah. Can't wait to get back. What time is it now? Is it uh, 10? It's just, it's just, it's literally two minutes to midnight. Ah. Really? Oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> there we go. Uh, Which means we're blessed. Yeah, so. uh, I'll keep going for a bit. All right. Before the pee break, we were on uh, touring and the, the difficulties of doing that on a low budget. Uh, we had handled uh, some drummers. Uh, did we actually handle any guitarists properly? No, no, not no. really. No. So we can just mention those. Okay. So we're on the Soundhouse tapes here. Uh, we have this hidden guitarist, and uh, I'm thinking now. What about all the guitarists and their input into the band and uh, what's been hidden? You know, do you have any intel, Henrik? Yeah, I mean, go, going back to 1976, there's been uh, Bob Sawyer, Bob Angelou Sawyer. He has claimed he's written most of Sanctuary. The riff was his, and who who am I to to dispute that? Uh, and uh, but he's the only one that I know that has sort of mentioned that he's. He's been he's he's been the author of a song, if you say. Uh, Terry mm. Wopram claims to have been working on parts for Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that, together, I guess, with Tony Moore. Then, so which would have been interesting to hear, the keyboard player. And uh, yeah. then I don't know. I don't think this Mad Mac had anything creatively that he did in that sense. And after him, there was this succession of two. Oh, well, it was Paul Todd, the the guy who famously couldn't go and rehearse for his girlfriend, and then <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then we yeah. had uh, Tony Parsons, who I guess is the first guitarist to be recorded and credited in that sense because uh -huh. he he's on the Friday Rock Show release, right? Any way to hear him? Yeah, yeah, on the on the Friday Rock Show, we gotta listen to that. Yeah, from '79. Yeah, I'll try to find it. Right. It's it's Hello. on the it's in the early days. No, the Eddie's archive box, isn't it? Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't own that. Mm. Uh, Let's see. Friday and he's on metal for mothers, or am I? I've heard that. Yeah. Up now? I don't know. They did uh, like Sanctuary and Ratchet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is all. This is stuff that's like I said. If you just it's YouTube, but we can listen to. Um, we'll just get a. We can listen to a couple of seconds of this, but yeah, it's all, it's on the it's on yeah. the box. Or in the box.
Yeah, and that's Doug Samson on the drums, so we're getting a succession of drummers as well. And uh, again, I, I mean, there's so many names here. Which guitarist were we on now? Tony, Tony, <laughs> Tony Parsons. Tony Parsons. Tony Parsons. Tony Parsons. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Did he continue? Did he do anything else? Uh, after Maiden? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think he played in any bands that I've read about or seen. Or am I confusing him with someone else? I don't know. Maybe he also got a mortgage. Maybe, you know, yeah. A pro proper life. <laughs> that, that, that'll take you out of the game yeah. quick. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. that, that I don't was... Have one. I never had That one. was Dennis Stratton's, you know, thing. He had a wife and a child and a mortgage. So I guess that's one of the things that he perhaps yeah. displayed a different kind of attitude towards the all-in-ness of a band, you know, so... Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So it's... So that cannot be understated no. that everyone's literally has to be in the same situation. Right. Otherwise it just yeah. won't work. Yeah. It's almost like you have to create this family environment, a dysfunctional uh, rock family. Yeah, but that's the cliche, but, it, but it, it's got some relevance to, to the analogy actually. So yeah, like, like many cliches do, yeah. it's relevance. And uh, I think we could yeah. talk a little bit about Phantom of the Opera as well. It's an interesting one because it's credited to Steve only, mm -hmm. but uh, I've heard from many sources that it's a potpourri of input from especially guitarists that have been in the band, bringing their best game, bringing their A game, and that's how they kind of ended on that. You know, one of my, if not my favorite song of all time, Phantom of the Opera, mm -hmm. I think it's so good. But it's not Harry's mm -hmm. only, but I still don't discredit him. It's his masterpiece, but I'm sure that from what I've heard, uh, there's been plenty of input into the song. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, but I think yeah. just as an as, uh, sorry, and as, as an aside with Phantom of the Opera, I had that on cassette originally, and at the end of the tape, after the song finished, that whole "You torture me back at your lair" with the effect yeah. on it. Torture me back at your lair. That plays like a minute later. Mm. I remember a like lying later. asleep on, like yeah, yeah, like lying asleep on the bed with the headphones on, you know, and then that just came mm. out and yeah. literally just like what the? Charge me back at you now! What was that? You know, I always wondered: is that some kind of weird mistake that they decided to keep, or was it planned? Because it's yeah. I mean, I I, I yeah. bought the '98 version as a kid, and it doesn't have that on it. Mm. And then uh, we talked about this in the episode I did with my old drummer, um, just us two, and the extra one for uh, yeah. Death or Glory and Deja Vu. We talked about those years. It was in our early twenties, hanging out in his small apartment in a nice part of Stockholm. But he didn't have internet because he's just a you know a weirdo. He's a drummer, so yeah. <laughs> there, there was no internet, and we listened to all of Maiden. It's like he, he's lucky to have shoes. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. If even, if even, you know, Nico plays with bare feet, right? Yeah. But uh, uh, we listened to the whole discography in that um, internet-rid apartment, and uh, just enjoying it. And at the time, we were also uh, uh, dabbling with the, the old Devil's Lettuce, smoking a bit there. And mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, that thing came on. And I was like, what? Mm. 
Uh, because it was the original version of Iron Maiden. Like, torture me back at your hand. Mm. <laughs> yeah. is, it on the, is, it, is it on the vinyl? I don't think it is. It's on it the is vinyl. on the vinyl, I think. On, yeah, on my, on on my vinyl. vinyl. Yeah, yeah. I have a Swedish press of uh, 1980, and it's on there. Yeah, I haven't yeah. actually listened to it for it, uh, listened to, to it on the Swedish press, but if it's there, it's there. But I know it's not on, the, uh, because the first version I bought was some kind of German reissue thing in, in the middle of the 80s, and it's not on that one, but... Okay, so maybe so it's it's coming and going. But yeah, yeah. You asked if it was a mistake. I don't think so. I think it's meant to be. You know, uh, have you seen a horror movie when you know the the main monster uh, has died, mm. but at the very end uh, comes back out, right? Yeah. yeah. The, in Evil Dead, where it comes out through the floor, <laughs> yeah. like the uh, yeah. the trapdoor, yep. that kind. Oh, yeah. of, but what a song! I mean, Phantom of the Opera is literally the crown jewel of that album. Mm. It's. For, for me, at least, I just think, love it. Yeah, that is that's the future of Iron Maiden right there. It has everything. It has everything that the band mm. is. And uh, you know, was this performed in the seventies at all? Uh, talk amongst yourselves, and I will have a look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was like finalized, <laughs> finalized, and performed in the early 80s but I'm i sure. think it's late 78 Rus- ruskin arms it's at the ruskin arms gig i think is yeah. that 79 or the Ru- ruskin arms is, yeah, uh, ruskin arms is april 80 i think yeah it's, all right oh, it's yeah. in 80 sorry. right around the release and they play it really quickly like it's yeah clive always did and, and it's yeah like almost going into that territory of black metal phantom of the opera was played in 78 Whoa. I don't yeah. know which if it was a different, you know, a different arrangement or if all the parts are there, but I'm sure that's where the input of all the different guitarists come because they I'm sure they added bits that mm. Steve decided to keep and then another guitarist came and added stuff. It's got it's got the Hotel California type harmonies at the end. Yeah, yeah that whole mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's it's, a, it's an epic, really is. Yeah, it's a, I mean, if I'm pressed for it, if someone asks me best song ever, I usually say that one. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an easy pick for me because I've played it so many times, and it's I've I've learned a few Maiden songs played in a Maiden tribute band, and that's one of the songs that when you know it is actually even better when mm. you can play it. Yeah. yeah. Another example was Ghost of the Navigator, awesome song, but as I as I got to know it, it kind of lost a little bit because I I could see through the the composition of it, but I think uh, Phantom of the Opera is just pure pure gold mm. right there and and i mm. i'm yes. i'm inclined to believe that uh, there has been input from several guitarists to make it that good mm. at that time because if you listen to innocent exile uh, it's great but it's no phantom of the opera it's way more rooted in 70s hard rock whereas phantom of the opera uh-huh. you couldn't even hear the giants do anything like that the black sabbath wouldn't do it no you know? mm. no chance mm. black sabbath amazing songs like uh, under the sun sort of epic uh, megalomania uh, but yep. not that style, you know. It sticks out, and it's uh, of, obviously the crown jewel, I think, of early Maiden. Uh, and the, like on that topic, we could get into Maiden becoming an EMI signed band. Mm-hmm. That's an important well, point in the history. Well, uh, the other crucial thing here is before that happens, yeah. Rod Smallwood comes into yeah. the picture, oh, yeah. and that's that's your other. That's like the you know you talk about your uh, the rocket booster. Mm-hmm. That's the next, the next serious one. To that guy that could now promote your band, and while Steve can now focus on writing songs and making the yeah. band as good as he can make it, you've got this. You've got your advocate, your cheerleader mm. out there. 
saying, you know, you're second in charge going, we can do this now, you know. Yeah. It's, Cheerleader, that's it. Sure, that can't be underestimated, Dan. I'd call it enforcer. You know, I am yeah. 100% <laughs> positive that he has beaten people in order to make Maiden work. You know, the, the money is not there. He's tall. He's a big as a door. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% sure that he has. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't condone violence, but I'm, if he did it, I'm kind of happy he did it, you know, in a yeah. sense. Is it, is it, he's got a bit, a bit of Peter Grant in him and uh, yeah. Yeah. Don Arden. Exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's the same rough and, yeah. We talked about those guys in my other podcast, Gaining for Ifs, the, the managers of the old rock bands. <clears throat> and I think there's a fine line there because looking at Peter Grant, he overstepped it a little bit. Even the band got so much money that they couldn't handle it. Whereas Rod was, uh, he was stingy with the band. Mm. They got their little allowance, if you yeah. call it. And that's it. Uh, and uh, I mean, Led Zeppelin became these gods of men just flying around and the band died fairly quickly. So I think there's a point also to holding it back. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the restraint. That's, yeah. Yeah. And we talked about Terry Knight. Terry Knight as well. He was a manager of uh, Grand Funk Railroad. And he destroyed that band, you know. He, he got too in on the money bit. You mm-hmm. know, I think Rod obviously is a power player, but I don't think he's a mm-hmm. money nut. I don't think he's like... No. Well, I, well, and it's that, that uh, Colonel Parker and yeah. Elvis, yeah. you know, the same no, thing. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, they yeah. just basically bleed bands dry mm-hmm. and yeah. um, or artists. But yeah, he's a he's unbelievable. And there's that scene where the, the record company executive says... Rod comes in and he says, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, yeah. we're going to do this. And it's just that we can get behind this guy. Like we can make it, we can make a bet on mm. this and feel comfortable doing it. Whereas, I mean, and he said they were, and the other band that they were looking at was uh, Def Leppard. Yeah. And Def Leppard at that time maybe didn't have, I know they had Lieber Krebs behind them later, but I don't know at that point whether they had them or not mm. but it's someone like rob that can rod that can literally make the difference between a band getting a deal or not yeah. you know it's like yeah. think, uh, making a someone uh, feel comfortable enough to commit to a lot a big expenditure it's sp- speaking of def leppard i think it's rare they got really big when they had the same producer as your country mates in acdc um mm. what's, yes. what's his face again uh, super Matt Matt Lang. Lang. Yeah. Matt Lang. Mm. yeah. That's when yeah, they really yeah. hit it with hysteria and that kind of stuff. But in the early eighties, probably Maiden was a better bet, you know. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm oh, thinking now, consistently, like yeah, I'm thinking now that we talk that maybe the the reason that Rod could be so forthcoming and so uh, unapologetic about asking for all this money to do these big touring projects is that Steve is Steve, mm-hmm. right? He can trust Steve. Mm. Reliable. Yeah, he's not going to go off into in, in the countryside, yeah. smoke weed and, and do uh, yeah. cocaine. He's not going to do that. That's not his wish. Mm. But, you know, we have other stories of rock stars where they blow the whole budget. Yeah. Uh, just on cocaine or, and hookers or something like that. Very early on. <laughs> That's not Steve's. I think the, the, the beauty of it is uh, like uh, Rod's... Uh, ruthless ways like his ruthless yeah, ways well, it's like, it's, they go it's in like tandem with governance. yeah they go yeah. in tandem with steve's uh wholesomeness you could call yeah. it you know yeah. sort of wholesome character wholesome and determined yeah. and and also they're of the same mindset very organized and focused and right they've got each other's backs in a sense because steve's not going to let rod down and rod's not going to mm. let steve down yeah. like it's a mm. it's a very interesting dynamic and very few bands get to have that. It's, yeah. you know, it's, so. Also it's that, an, that's a, he's a huge part mm, of it. Interesting point too, the logistics of rock and roll. I talked about that too in my other pod, uh, but uh, about the, the touring, like how Jimi Hendrix would tour the States 
and he would play Calgary, and then he would play Miami, and then he would play New York. You know, there's no lineage here. There's no plan to how it's done. And Maiden had way more of a plan, but they still did. They say in the in the documentary that they played. Uh, uh, it could have been like Long Beach, Hammersmith, and possibly another U.S. spot or another continent, even in the matter of a week. So they were also like yeah. in this, uh, uh, you know, yeah, they, mess. Yeah. They did Reading Festival in 1982 yeah, in in between uh, in the middle of the U.S. tour. So exactly, mm. exactly. So there were parts of that happening when they're doing a hundred shows in the U.S. You know, they really hit the road in the bus and committed to that. Like, you can have those, what we call them, an aberration, those gigs where you, the mm. one-offs, where you, you sort of blow the schedule out or things don't quite line up for whatever reason. Yeah. You can absorb that when you've got all this consistency to lean on. If you're trying to make a habit of doing these other, one here, one there, one ever, sporadic or whatever you want to call it, that's a, it's a whole different you know, you're just losing money everywhere, you know? Yeah. I mean, they talk about in when they go to Australia, they had him had him playing in the, the Outback Steakhouse or whatever yeah. it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I actually have a clip, I have like, a clip of that, just, actually. Just to keep the money mm. coming in, just to, yeah. so they don't have a night off, you know? Like, you've just got to keep the money coming in, so... Yeah, let's yeah. listen to that, because I, that's the only clip I, I prepared for the show, because I knew we had a Australian guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so here we go. <laughs> They came to Australia in around November 82. It was fantastic, but the band had not broken significantly in Australia until that Number of the Beast album, Bruce Dickinson's arrival, and the Run to the Hill single. In terms of stage performance, it was up a scale to anything they'd normally seen in Australia. Uh, and uh, it was instantly successful. Like with the cricket team, they don't initially take too kindly to a bunch of touring poms. Uh, but they won them over in that first cricket. tour. travel all over the place and there was one place it was kind of in the outback in the middle of nowhere and it was a bit like Bob's Country Bunker kind of Blues Brothers sort of thing not quite the chicken wire but we, it was a tiny backstage a little room and then when we went there was all these like tables set up and um, people were like eating dinner and stuff and it was like oh okay maybe they're gonna take the tables away you know later on and we're gonna go on but no they didn't they 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 were there the whole night and, and it was funny like in between songs you hear you know table number 76 you know your steak ready i did get a phone call from him at four in the morning when uh he was complaining in his um, usual emphatic manner uh, about my uh booking them into what appeared to be a bingo club uh in the middle of wagga wagga <laughs> uh complete with chicken and a basket on the menu and twin sets in the audience and uh twin sets in the audience i can't take the blame for that because that was andy taylor telling me to put extra shows in to keep the money up on their first australian tour so there continues about clive yeah. after that but uh, yep. it's interesting to hear right the, the the entrance into australia we're jumping ahead but just a little bit here so that's fine mm. yeah mm. The, the interesting thing we need to find people who are at that wagga wagga mm. show yeah. that's where it was at because that would have been unbelievable. But going back to Rod just quickly yeah. and him coming in, 
he takes the credit or the for the idea of Eddie. Like we, the band didn't have a central character or the front man, the focus. We needed something to focus the audience's attention. That it was playtime with Eddie. Kids really did relate to Eddie. They had the artwork, they had the figure, and they turned it into um, eventually a merchandiser's dream. It's important that a band establish what their image is. And many people have copied Iron Maiden. I mean, from what I can gather, um, Lars from Metallica, his whole concept for merchandising and design was based around what Maiden were doing. We used to get people turn up in America with these Eddie tattoos and the cars were covered in Eddie. That got a bit crazy, it was a bit scary. <laughs> I love him really. Several times we, we put Eddie on the cover of Kerrang! Eddie would sell as well, you know, as, as John Bon Jovi, as, as Gene Simmons, whatever, you know, he, it was a recognisable cover image. Good night from Eddie and the Boys! Another huge, if that's tr true, which I would assume it is, they already had the Eddie the Ed thing, but yeah. to really run mm. with that, that's another huge factor in their I think so too. Trajectory. Yeah. I realized the same thing as I played the clip that it's good that we touched on Eddie because how could we not mention Eddie and the development of mm. him from, from that kabuki mask behind the drum set type thing. And I recall now from the Norwegian Maiden pod, uh, Gamal Maiden, where they, they had a guest from Black Debbath, uh, you know, pretty <laughs> prominent band. And uh, he, yeah. he was on vacation with his parents in the States in 80, well, 82. And uh, they had saved for years to do that because back in those days, in the early 80s, it was expensive for Northerners to, to go yeah. to America. So they were on a road tour. They were in Anaheim. And uh, his parents magically let him attend a Maiden show on his own. And this was the first mm. time Maiden played a stadium ever. So it was 50,000 people there in Anaheim. Mm. And, uh, and what he recalls is that A, amazing playing. B, tiny band yeah <laughs> they looked so small and yeah. he said that even the walk on eddie which i guess was a guy in stilts or yeah. something uh the story yeah. in 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 the documentary is that uh, the stage designer or tour manager one of those two saw an opera where that mm. was where there was giants yeah. involved and he was inspired by that but he said that in the anaheim stadium eddie was so tiny yeah <laughs> it looked like a joke but then he had yeah. uh, he he got into rock journalism he met steve I think a year or two or maximum three later no a year or two uh, and he wore the anaheim tour shirt and steve was deeply impressed mm -hmm. like this norwegian guy <laughs> attended in anaheim and uh, they ended up you know prolonging the interview session trifle yeah because they just became friends and then he said that uh, at the power slave tour 84 in gothenburg he attended and he was at uh, Mackey's, as you say, McDonald's mm. for us. Yeah, Mackey's. Yeah, Mackey's. My friend saw it, Steve Harris at Mackey's yeah. on their last tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he keeps going there, mm. I guess, because this guy, this Norwegian guy from Black Debbath, he was in the in the line in in uh, McDonald's or Mackey's, and uh, he uh, he was uh, tapped. His shoulder was tapped. He turns around, oh. and Steve is like Michael, right? And first name basis. Come mm. on, this is Power Slave era, you know. And that's so cool. So. Just had to add that into it, you know. That shows you what sort of person Steve Harris is, though, in a sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. He doesn't forget the people that are on his side. Mm. No, you know? no, no, definitely. Uh, no matter who they are, in a sense, it's like... And they must be uh, four, four, four digits at this point, you know. There must be so many people in their, mm. in their kind of... Uh, uh, orbit. Orbit, yeah. Another interesting one from that one was uh, 
Pelle Purple. <laughs> he was a guy from a fan scene or something like that. And he, he also has this whole um, history with Iron mm. Maiden. And at one point he pitched, he had, uh, he had left the band. He was the main guy in Norway for selling Iron Maiden CDs and whatnot. And he did really well. And he said that Rod Smallwood is very nice if you're doing well. But if you're not doing well, he's, he's hell. Yeah. He's hell on earth for you. <laughs> and he said he'd been doing really well, but then he had this pitch idea with a Swedish uh, video game producer. I don't know when, so I don't know if it was before or after uh, Ed Hunter, but somewhere around that time. And he came yeah. in to pitch the idea. He was invited to go to London to do this pitch. And he came in to see his old friend, Rod, but he wasn't there. Instead, there was another Rod, incredibly aggressive and like, why are you here? Mm. <laughs> All right, uh, maybe you invited me to come here, but it doesn't seem that that's the vibe anymore, right? I think he also managed to um, to make he managed to fool the guys to go to his a restaurant that he part owned for many beers. Uh, Rod kept uh, getting the pints in. He's a part owner of the restaurant, and then he leaves before the bill. So he invites the band to go drink in his restaurant, and they pay to him <laughs> you know. well, that's how you get rich that's, well, the, that's how you get rich yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um quick uh quick thing um since since we haven't as of yet even gotten to the no. the, actual, first the first album, album and, <laughs> and, and i and i wouldn't do i wouldn't wouldn't do this but this is obviously going to be two-parter i have like three hours of editing i have to do i'm gonna have and also this is gonna die mm. any second oh, okay. so i think yeah. you guys might have to continue without me all right mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. And also, because it's going to be at least a two-part, or maybe not a three-part, because we're up to two hours already. So, so how much batteries do you have? Uh, uh, well, this is going to die very soon. Put it that way. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I think I mean, you probably got at least. A, I don't know how long. You know, like I said, we're not no. even up to the first album yet, and it, I wouldn't. But I, I have to. I have to finish out of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So once again, future Jonathan is here to point out the obvious fact that yeah, we lost Eric. He's gone. But don't let that put your mood down. We still finished the third part of the Early Days trilogy, and it will be in your lap next week. All right, see ya. Up the irons, it's called from the north. <laughs>